Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Good afternoon, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great, Sherry. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, and I hope our listeners are doing well out there. And uh, looking forward to this next interview. Absolutely, and uh, we are very excited today for our guest. Our guest is Jeff Hoglin. Jeff is a veteran of the United States Army, EOD Tech combat veteran, and the co-founder of the Invictus Project, which provides advanced diagnostics and treatments for TBI and PTSD. In addition, he is also the CEO of Invictus Health Incorporated. Jeff, welcome to Behind the Warrior Podcast. It's great to have you today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. I'm Absolutely. Very honored. Yep, we as well. And uh, we've known you for a while. We know the great work that you and your team do at the Invictus Project. And we're excited to learn more about your personal journey and also the great work that's being done at Invictus. So let's start at the beginning. Where are you from and how did you get to become uh, an Army soldier? <laughs> um, I the, Where am I from is going to be more complicated than the rest of it i guarantee uh i was born in lubbock texas uh and i spent equal tar- parts um of my life in texas arizona and washington state um i still have family in arizona and washington state but i claim washington state as home mm-hmm. and um i'm the oldest of eight brothers and sisters from combined marriages and uh the way i found myself joining the army and eod specifically uh when i graduated high school um i kind of fell into sales and finance and was making far more money than a 19 20 year old kid should and i was making some very poor decisions and uh i was on a clear path to dying and so literally the thought that ran through my head was if i'm gonna die i might as well die for something worthy and so I decided I was going to enlist in the military. Um, that was back in December 2004. And when I made the decision to enlist, there was really only two options for me. There was only two jobs that I researched in the military that I was interested in. That was Special Forces or EOD. And uh, luckily, my vision at the time wouldn't qual- qualify me for airborne, so I couldn't go the 18 x-ray route, and EOD was the only other option for me, so I grew up in the EOD community. Gotcha. And so uh, were you were you very interested? You said there was two options, and uh, the other was EOD tech. Uh, why was that? What drew you to the EOD? the career field and uh, what was it like to serve as an EOD tech in a, in a combat environment? Um, I think what initially drew me to EOD is that if you're going to join the military, you should go big, right? And uh, the idea of being an all-volunteer force and really, you know, being in a community with guys that have chosen the career field was kind of an important thing for me, but I had no idea the the full scale of what I was getting myself into or the, the benefits that I look back upon now, you know. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, um, if you're going to join the military, you might as well do something you would normally be arrested for in the civilian population, <laughs> yeah. you know. So blowing stuff up was right up there on the top of the list. Right. Um, and in terms of my service and serving in a combat environment, um, I miss combat every day. Um, it's a weird thing to say, but um, I think we all kind of look back at the simplicity of life over there and how we actually get to do our job. And even in the most austere environments, you seem to uh, build stronger bonds and the camaraderie that you share with your brothers is much, much stronger. Um, so when I look back on EOD, I look back very fondly uh, of my time and very grateful for the community and what it's done for me and how it's shaped me as a man and as a father. Um, but I don't miss Garrison, to be honest. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
No, we've, we've heard that quite a bit about uh, the experiences, shared experiences of, of being in combat environments, working in dangerous career fields, and the, and the bonds that you make. So, um, yeah, that's, that's actually very common among soldiers. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Jeff, you've spoken many times about the blast exposures and the frontal impact that you were subject to um, while on combat deployments and were later diagnosed with traumatic brain injury before you left the Army. When did you first notice that something wasn't quite right, and how did you initially cope with your TBI diagnosis? Um. Well, it definitely took a while to clearly identify that the TBI was kind of the root of the issue. Um, my hobbies and background outside of the military definitely didn't do me any favors. Uh, I had participated in combat sports, so mixed martial arts, jujitsu, Muay Thai, and kickboxing since 2007. And so I spent a lot of time on the mat getting punched in the face. <laughs> not quite mm-hmm. as smart as I had hoped to be when it came to the combat sports arena. I was one of the guys that just liked to kind of take punishment to give punishment. And um, I think I started noticing some very profound differences in how I approached problems, how I would react to problems, uh, memory retention and information retention. And the headaches is really what initially started as the first clear indicator that something was going wrong and then the mental health symptoms presented themselves you know so depression suicidal ideation the anxiety um and that i want to say that started around 2011 and i got out i ets in 2013 from active duty and did a year in the national guard as eod as well and in that period between 2013 and 2014 the symptoms started getting a lot more pronounced i was starting to get a lot quite a bit more migraines uh the emotional regulation the memory retention um just that you could tell that something just wasn't right and you know in terms of blast exposure i i've i've known so many guys that i've had the pleasure of working with that have had far worse exposures than what i was subjected to you know Mm -hmm. but i think it's important to note that like when we're talking about tbi this is a cumulative effect right so frontal impact and the cumulative effect of blast overpressure even routine blast overpressure can cause that cognitive decline and uh in april 2014 i moved to thailand for a year and spent a year in thailand finding muay thai and that's when the symptoms got a lot worse. Obviously, I didn't know quite a bit about, I didn't know nearly as much as I'd hoped to know at that time about how I could be taking care of my brain a little bit better and my mental health and well-being. And the sport that I love so much also caused quite a bit of damage, you know. So mm-hmm. when I got back from Thailand, that's when things kind of went downhill real quickly. Right. Well, But I would say that the symptoms... The symptoms that were most profound is when the op tempo slowed down. That's usually when we got back from deployment. And, uh, mm-hmm. the, you know, I, I got out in 2013, February, and I had just gotten back from Afghanistan in December 2012. And that's really, like, the last month in Afghanistan when we were tapering down and right at the tail end of while I was ETSing and taking terminal leave. That's when I really started to notice. Mm-hmm. Something's not right. Right, right. Well, you you left the Army officially in 2014, and then you have openly shared that you hit a very, very low point in 2015. Um, you were contemplating suicide, and it was your young son who stopped you. Uh, could you share how you got to that point, and after that, how did you find your way back? You know, it's kind of hard to retrace the steps on how I got to that point Mm because I don't think we ever really think that we'll get to that point, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, Between 2014 and 2015, um, I was self-medicating pretty pretty good. I was drinking about a fifth of whiskey almost every night. 
it's the only thing that would seem to numb what was going on. And at the time, I was under the care of the VA and on multiple prescriptions. And it seemed like every prescription that they wanted to introduce to mask one side effect or up my dose or whatever they were doing with the prescription cocktail just kept getting worse and worse. And the suicidal ideation just kept presenting itself in a way that was just unavoidable, you know. And um, it finally got to the point where, you know, April 2015, at the time I was going through a divorce with my wife at the time, who was an Air Force EOD tech, which I know, I'm pretty silly for marrying another EOD tech, considering that it usually stands for everyone's divorced. But <laughs> um, she and I were married for eight years, surprisingly. Um between you know two different branches of eod op tempo and out of those eight years we probably spent two and a half of them actually together which was trying on the marriage itself but we had our son um in 2010 and <sighs> we were going through a pretty contentious custody battle it just seemed like everything that for the last 10 years that we established was falling apart, you know? Mm -hmm. And I finally just got to the point where I was tired of suffering and I was so consumed by my own suffering that I was ready to make a permanent decision, you know? And so, uh, April, 2015, I just finished a bottle of whiskey. It was probably two in the morning. And, um, my son, actually, for whatever reason, didn't even realize it, didn't even register to me that he was in the house at the time because I was in my own state of just complete suffering. Um, walked down the dark hallway and knocked on my door and said, Daddy, are you okay? Which is like completely out of character for the kid because he, he sleeps like a baby since he was brand new. We actually got in trouble at in the hospital for letting him sleep longer than six hours the day he was born. Um, and the way we thought about it, you know, was, you know, he'll, he'll wake up when he's hungry, you know, mama's tired, but, uh, it just very, very grateful that my son was, you know, brave enough to walk down that hallway as a small little kid and stop me from making a, a decision that would have, you know, permanently transferred all of my trauma directly to him mm -hmm. and uh, very grateful for the life that I've gotten to experience since then. And he's a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. um, and then six weeks later, uh, May 2015, um, another EOD tech that surprisingly had a great influence in my life, even after I got out, um, shot himself, Neil. And that, that had a huge, huge impact on what we did moving forward. Mm -hmm. Understand. Um, well, we are we're grateful that your son was there to um, ask if you were okay. And I just have a, a follow-on question. I mean, obviously, he's probably, I would imagine he has, he has heard this story before. And um, what, you know, what does he think about that? <laughs> which part um the part where you've told the story about him knocking on your door does is you he, know it's mm -hmm. yeah it's it's funny because he he has very little recollection of that mm -hmm. moment as as being as impactful as it was for me mm -hmm. um but we talk a lot about what we've done since then and I, he remembers quite a bit about his life up until I was fortunate enough to get treatment and the UD warrior foundation helped us out with making sure that I can actually get an accurate brain scan, which was phenomenal. And I can't tell you how grateful I am for that. Um, but he has noticed night and day difference between what life was with dad prior to the suicide attempt and what life was after the suicide attempt. And I think that's really the most important thing for me. And that's the only thing I really want him to remember is that, you know, we can change our, our uh, environment and it doesn't have to be, we don't have to simply choose to accept what we have, mm -hmm. you know? Well, so thank you for sharing that, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Jeff, I also want to add to what Sherry said and just say, we're so thankful that, you're here and, and for what, you know, your son did to, uh, 
to intervene on that night. And uh, we're just really, really, really grateful for you sharing your story. Hopefully someone out there who's who's suffering or thinking about it will will get the help that they need, reach out and uh, and, and be well. Uh, want to pivot now and want to talk about, you know, something that we find very interesting. We, you know, we, we think... We think what you guys are doing over there at the Invictus Project is pretty cutting edge. So could you please tell our listeners, what is the Invictus Project? You, you co-founded that organization. Who is it for and why is it different from current TBI and PTSD treatments that many of our uh, wounded warriors are getting at, say, the VA or, or military or civilian hospitals? Yeah, so... Um Invictus Project was founded actually by two EOD techs, a uh, fellow EOD brother, Sam Peterson. He was uh, one of my EOD brothers that I leaned on pretty heavily after my attempt and shared quite a bit more about the state of suffering that I was in. And uh, we were both pretty deeply affected by Neil's suicide in May 2015. And we spent quite a bit of time talking about our own experiences and about the treatments that we'd had and why we weren't getting any better, you know? Mm -hmm. And it finally got to the point where we needed to kind of take some responsibility for our own care. And initially it started out as the research at least started out as, well, if the VA is not going to fix me, I'm going to find a way to fix me because I can't live like this. Right. Mm -hmm. And, Eventually, what it ended up being was a way for us to continue our service because I think when we get out, we kind of lose a piece of our identity. We can no longer identify ourselves as an EOB tech or, you know, as an active soldier. We lose a little bit of our community because we're on completely different op tempos. And this was a way for us to feel like we may have left our guys and our brothers that we're still in the fight when we got out, but it didn't mean that we weren't fighting, you know, and that was a lot of what we wanted the Invictus project to be was find a better solution because what we're doing clearly isn't working. So the Invictus project is a 501c3, much like wounded EOD warrior foundation. Um, 98% of our donor dollars go directly to veteran care. And we focus on a diagnostics first approach. So, We'll get uh, an accurate brain scan where we can clearly distinguish the differences between PTSD, depression, TBI, general anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder, bipolar, ADHD. I mean, there's a whole host of things that we can actually confirm diagnosis through the brain scan. So it's not just a patient coming in and reporting their symptoms. We can actually look at how the brain is functioning. And then we collect a brain QEG along with blood labs to test for hormonal deficiencies because especially with TBI and even, you know, some depressive symptoms, there's quite a bit of hormonal imbalances that occur in the body Mm -hmm. in that phase, right? And there's damage to the endocrine system when there's axonal shearing um, in TBI events. And I think that's one of the things that we really wanted to focus on because I, I think w- there's this blind faith in a, a white coat that he's going to have our best interests at heart when he's prescribing us a pill, right? right? But there's a lot of other factors that go into the physiology of our body and why those psychological symptoms could be presenting themselves. So what we wanted to do is get a real clear picture of what the actual problem was, right? And it's no different than how we would break down an IED scene, right? We want to do a remote recon and make sure that we've got a real clear picture of the actual problem, develop a solid plan in order to attack the problem and mitigate as much risk as possible, and then collect the evidence afterward, right? Mm -hmm. And we kind of took that thought process um, with, you know, TBI, PTSD, and depression. Get a very, very clear picture of what's happening inside a patient's brain and body and their own physiology so that we can understand how we can treat the symptoms and the, the root cause of those symptoms, not just manage those symptoms with pharmaceuticals or lifestyle modification or whatever it is, you know. And from those diagnostics, we support a combination of therapies, one of which is ketamine infusion therapy, um, which is one of the most powerful antidepressants 
in available today. Um, it's also one of the most commonly used anesthetics in the world because it doesn't, and it's the safest anesthetic in the world because it doesn't affect respiratory rate. And the military has been using it on the battlefield since Vietnam, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ketamine does a lot of great things in terms of it's, it's a background neurological reset for the brain. It shuts down the default mode network. You see a drastic improvement in uh, sleep quality. Um, it's amazing the next day after your infusion to wake up and actually like feel rested and not feel this heavy dark cloud hanging over you Mm -hmm. and then on top of that the relief from the suicidal ideation was just phenomenal you know but we use it also because it releases brain-derived neurotropic factor which helps for new synapse growth and the rest of the treatment that we support um we also support hyperbaric oxygen therapy so Patients will go in for 40 consecutive sessions at about 15 feet of depth. So that provides 10 times the amount of oxygen saturation, decreases inflammation in the entire body. And then it also upregulates stem cell production by eightfold. And while the patients in the middle of that 40 sessions, right around session 20, will uh, extract the patient's blood, separate the red blood cells from the platelet-rich plasma, and the uh, very small embryonic-like cells that are produced in our marrow, those stem cells that actually help repair all of our, our issues, because we have stem cells running through our body until the day we die. They, you know, The production obviously decreases as we age, but these very small embryonic-like cells are very similar to embryonic stem cells, so they can form into any tissue and any cell. Um, and then we take that slurry of platelet-rich plasma and stem cells and intranasally infuse it into the nose, which passes through the olfactory passage directly into the brain. Um, That way the brain has all of the cellular resources it needs to actually start repairing the damage. We get rid of the inflammation, um, which is the neuroinflammation is really why patients see quite a bit more of the exacerbated symptoms, especially when pharmaceuticals are involved. Uh, The pharmaceuticals tend to promote neuroinflammation. And from there, they'll go back into the uh, hyperbaric chamber for another 20 sessions while those stem cells are rooting down at the point of injury and beginning to kind of build and repair the damage that has been done, making sure that those growth factors are going into the point of injury. And we couple that with a diluted form of intranasal insulin infusions. Um, There's a study that was released about Alzheimer's patients and seeing a 50% reduction in Alzheimer's symptoms just from this diluted intranasal insulin. And the reason we add the insulin is because we want to make sure that those stem cells are getting a nice oxygen-rich environment, decreased inflammation, so there's a good, solid environment for them to grow, and then we want to make sure that they have all the cellular ATP that they need in order to fully mature and repair the damage. And then following the treatment, we collect the exact same diagnostics so that we can actually collect the data and show how the brain has fundamentally improved and repaired itself. Wow. This this is, uh, to me, so fascinating. And uh, if you could, just a little bit, what uh, I have found just from from knowing more about your story and, and the great work you guys do is the uh, scan that you provide is is really kind of different than what, say, the VA or other organizations use. Could you, could you talk about the scan? What makes it different and why is it so effective? Yeah, so um, the, the scans we use are provided by Searscan, the nation's leading provider in what's called QSPECT imaging. And it's using today's technology on somewhat of an outdated scan, which would be a SPEC scan. And the difference is that we're able to use machine learning. So with each scan, it actually improves the diagnostic efficiency, right? And we can actually look at blood flow and function. Um, Typically, when you have TBI issues, uh, a doctor or provider will refer you for an x-ray, which seems silly, and then an MRI. And the biggest issue with MRIs, especially as it relates to TBI, uh, whether they're mild or severe, is they're really only going to show um, once the neurodegeneration's already started. So they're going to show lesions, right? 
-hmm. they're not going to show blood flow and function before the lesions actually start presenting themselves. So the, the analogy I like to use all the time is if you think of a TBI event as a sinkhole, right? Every other intervention and, you know, mainstream treatment that we have right now that is provided by doctors when it comes to a TBI event is kind of stemmed around building these detours around this sinkhole, right? But during a TBI event, the microglial cells that are responsible for cleaning out all the toxins in our brain and making sure that there's a nice, healthy environment and that homeostasis for that neuroplasticity to exist, those microglial cells get switched to a permanent on position to send inflammatory signals. And then the more inflammation that we get, the the harder it is for nutrient-rich blood to actually get to the point of injury where the nutrient blood actually needs to get, right? Mm -hmm. And that sinkhole continues to grow and grow and grow until we see neurodegeneration and we start to see beta amyloid and tau proteins released. And those microglial cells that are supposed to be cleaning out these toxins are still busy sending this inflammatory signal. So this sinkhole continues to grow and now all of a sudden we're dealing with a sinkhole that's also covered with a bunch of stuff that should have been cleaned up, beta amyloid and tau proteins. And the microglial cells aren't cleaning it up. And that's when we start to see the beginning of earliest onset Alzheimer's, dementia, CTE, Parkinson's. Um, there's a huge correlation of, you know, blast exposure and Alzheimer's and neurodegenerative disease. I, I just saw recently actually on a Facebook post that there was a new study that positively correlated blast exposure with Alzheimer's, but there's been a number of them that have actually shown one blast exposure can make you up to four times more likely to suffer from neurodegenerative disease later in life. Yeah. You know, so well, it, that's the, uh, the big thing for us was we wanted mm -hmm. to look at the mechanisms of action that occur in a TBI and figure out what is the way to mitigate as much risk to the patient but also provide the most effective and immediate benefit as quickly as possible so that we can begin getting that brain back into the natural healing environment that it should be in and, you know, decrease their long-term risk of neurodegenerative disease. Right. And, and the really great thing is, is that you, you measure it when they get there, you measure it, you know, while they're there and you measure it when they're done. So you can, you can absolutely see improvement. Uh, the, the individual going through the treatment, they can feel the improvement and they can also see the improvement. So um, once somebody has completed their treatment at Invictus for TBI, PTSD, or both, what are the lifestyle modifications that your organization recommends that they follow in order to have long-lasting positive effects for, the, for improvements from their ailments? Um, I think one thing that we don't look at, and I'm, I'm happy to see that the research is kind of going this way, is the, the microbiome and the, the gut being our second brain and being responsible for, you know, two-thirds of our serotonin production and a whole host of other neurotransmitters that tra uh, travel through the ENS, right, and go through the vagus nerve and get our brain those neurotransmitters that they actually need in order to function properly. Um, so I think diet's a huge, huge uh, lifestyle modification that is something that we recommend to everybody. Look at what we're ingesting, right? This is supposed to be, you know, the brain is the hardware and software of this machine that we're running in, right? But what are we filling the machine with yeah. in terms of fuel, right? How, how are we resting the machine? Are we doing, you know, proper rest and recovery um so a big thing for us is and we've had the pleasure of you know being able to treat a number of eod techs and the cool thing about the brain scans is that a lot of these guys were told that they had ptsd and diagnosed with ptsd through the va and when they get the brain scan there's no ptsd present instead there's very clear tbi issues right yeah um and i think that's really really important to note that it's it's not just it, a psychological issue. It's a physiological problem that can be solved. Just because it's presenting itself as a, a psychological issue doesn't mean that there's something wrong with yeah. you, right? It, it's a physiological problem that's actually 
presenting itself in a psychological manner Mm -hmm. and we can fix it. Um, so the things that we try to recommend after treatment, because if these guys go back right back to the same old environment that, you know, exacerbated the symptoms, they're going to see symptoms return regardless of what treatment we offer them, because you're going right back to the same environment that caused the neuroinflammation. So the biggest number one lifestyle modification that we have asked every single patient is you need to stop drinking. If you are using any sort of self-medication, you need to not stop necessarily, but let's let's look at your relationship with alcohol. And are you using that as a way to escape and a way to numb? Or is it, you know, now I have I have a beer a month now after treatment. And and that's no joke. Like I just I don't have any desire to drink anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I have definitely reevaluated what my relationship with alcohol looks like following my EOD career. Um, and then sleep hygiene, diet, and exercise are really what we focus on is the lifestyle modifications. So, Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, the, uh, the mind, the body, the diet, the gut, all of this is interrelated. And I, I've heard this. Um, I've run across this more and more, what you spoke of earlier, in that uh, many are being misdiagnosed with PTS when in actuality uh, the TBI is more the cause of, of their symptoms. Yeah, it's uh, we've, we've done quite a bit of market research because obviously we have Invictus Project, um, but the, the main goal of what we wanted to do was help our brothers that are still in the fight on the active duty side. And the DOD, unfortunately, doesn't work with nonprofits. So uh, we had to create Invictus Health Incorporated, which is a for-profit entity that offers the exact same services. And we were actually awarded a SBIR, Small Business Innovation and Research Grant, that allows us to actually treat active duty soldiers and at no funding cost to the end user, which would be whatever EOD unit that is, right? Um, so it was a big deal for us to get these guys, um, while they're still active duty and before they transition into a healthcare model that seems to be broken and a little bit polluted or, you know, just a little too busy. They've got such a high patient load and they're under, understaffed, you know, Mm -hmm. overworked, understaffed and too many patients to deal with. So while they're active duty and while they have access to TRICARE and some of the better medical coverage and uh, if it were if i had this treatment while i was in who knows i may have stayed in you know that's there's a lot of guys that they want to stay in and finish their career and um just this kind of an effort for us to retain that warfighter you know that wants to finish their their career the way they should right at least end it on their own terms you know so um yeah yeah what a great opportunity um, that you're presenting there with Invictus Health as well, Jeff. Yeah, and the, the problem with the market research that we did when it came to Invictus Project and Invictus Health is we noticed that the the VA has this umbrella diagnosis of PTSD because it's actually cheaper on a per-patient basis to have this umbrella diagnosis or group all of these mental health issues under one diagnosis Mm. Um, rather than a TBI and PTSD diagnosis. It actually costs the VA more to treat a patient that has been diagnosed with TBI and PTSD than it does to just treat a patient that's only been diagnosed with PTSD only. Mm -hmm. So um, unfortunately, you know, they've got their own funding issues and budget that they've got to work within. And I think, part of the problem stems from the way we're diagnosing because it is almost impossible to distinguish the difference between how symptoms present themselves between TBI, PTSD, depression, Mm -hmm. anxiety. They all present themselves almost identically. And if we're not getting an accurate picture of the brain, we have no idea what we're doing. We're kind of just shooting in the dark, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. No, it makes a lot of sense, Jeff, Um, and thank you for explaining it in such detail because I think our listeners will really appreciate that. And um, um, going to the next question, um, it has taken a long time, but 
there seems to be some promising signs that the DOD and the VA may start to adopt HBOT and other cutting-edge treatments for TBI and PTSD um, that are being used currently at, at your organization, Invictus Project. What are what improvements are you seeing, and are you hopeful that this will eventually happen? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're seeing a lot of um, momentum and kind of shift in some things, especially when it comes to the DOD's acceptance to hyperbaric. I mean, the, the mere fact that we were awarded um, a Small Business Innovation and Research Award is huge because that means that the DOD is actually looking at innovative technology and interventions that can solve the problem right so we are seeing on the dod side we're seeing there's 42 uh non-profits nationally that support hyperbaric oxygen therapy um we're seeing a lot more support on the hyperbaric oxygen therapy side than some of the other treatment infer- interventions ketamine infusion therapy is getting a lot more exposure we're seeing some vas start to actually provide ketamine infusion therapy for vets um that's fantastic. The The biggest problem, though, is that there's only fixed results from each of those treatments. Like the combination, the integrative approach and the holistic approach really maximizes the long-term effects for the brain. And we've noticed a lot with one of our hyperbaric oxygen therapy providers is that if a patient only does hyperbaric oxygen therapy, they're likely to need another course of 40 treatments when their symptoms come back. So they'll see maybe two steps forward, one step back. And we're trying to nullify that. We want to we want to fix the problem at its source and um, limit the long-term risks of neurodegenerative disease and make sure that, you know, these guys aren't having to accept a life less than what they had prior to their injury. Mm-hmm. Right. So there is a level of maintenance um, with the HBOT therapy then? Yeah, and with HBOT has a number of profound benefits on so many different scales, including like my spine's fused. And I saw just even my functional chronic pain issues go away while I was going through HBOT treatment, right? Mm. Which is great, but we're talking about fixed results. Like once you stop your HBOT treatment, you're still... Once you eliminate that 10 times the amount of oxygen saturation and that, you know, upregulation of the stem cell production and the anti-inflammatory environment, patients tend to see some of their symptoms return. And what we wanted to do was build out a protocol that made sure that symptoms don't return, you know? Uh, Jeff, outside of the great work that you, you guys are all doing there at Invictus, um, you were actually highlighted. You gave a very powerful and insightful presentation on TED Talks last year called Prisoners of the Mind. How did that come about, and how has that um, talk changed your life since then? <laughs> um, uh, well, I can tell you to go from you know almost shooting myself in 2015 to checking something off my bucket list and being able to do a TED Talk is you know pretty pretty amazing thing for me to look back on and just feel incredibly grateful that my son was around. Um, I got to, I met my current wife and forever wife, my partner, um, six weeks after my suicide attempts, right? So if I had been successful, I would have never met the woman that I share my life with, who is literally my sanctuary, you know? Um, And I wouldn't have met my four-year-old daughter who has me completely wrapped around her finger so to to be able to do a ted talk from where i was in 2015 was amazing uh sam and i were very active in speaking engagements pitch competitions business incubators business accelerators Uh, we just wanted to do everything we could to share our story and our message and we were you know, presented with the opportunity to try out for a TED Talk. And TED has some very specific firm guidelines when it comes to their talks. They give you a subject to talk on and focus on. And so ours was on human connection, which ended up being great because there's a lot of things that I can connect with my story and our treatments to human connection and uh, how it's just 
encouraged more human connection and more like present being right like i i feel like the way i am with my kids today versus the way i was back in 2015 with my son night and day difference mm-hmm. you know um and after the ted talk it's been really really great to see you know the personal messages that have been sent to me that you know shows that it's it's actually resonated with somebody else um there's been a number of opportunities that have presented themselves in terms of other speaking engagements and books and stuff like that and it's just like yeah there's a lot of stuff that we need to put on the the back burner until we get the clinic up and running and we're actually helping as many guys as we can you know so i would say that the ted talk was amazing for me personally but it's also kind of been a little bit of a distraction towards what the end state and the end goal is you know yeah yeah but i think for those who uh who go to uh, TED Talks and type in Prisoners of the Mind and look you up and watch it, I, I, I just think they're going to be, they're going to walk away really impressed and they're going to get something out of it uh, that, that is profound, that talks about human connection that you described so well. Uh, it ties everything in, you know, you're, you're living that and I just, I just appreciate that you did that and, uh, you know, all I of would, us get to benefit from it. I'll tell you, it's, uh, I would much rather be in a combat environment operating <laughs> as EOD than standing on a TED stage or any stage for that matter. It's an absolutely terrifying thing to be yeah, yeah. that exposed and vulnerable with yeah. everybody just staring right back at you. No kidding. Yeah. No, you said that. You said that before, but I, I got to tell you that when I watched it the second time, I was like looking for nervousness. Like, this guy's a pro. Smooth operator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, was, thank you. Yeah, thank you no, very thank much. Thank you. It was awesome. So, last question for me. If there is a veteran or, or first responder or anybody out there listening to this podcast who is struggling with traumatic brain injury or post-traumatic stress, uh, what advice would you give them? So the hard part is that when we're in the thick of it, when we're in the trenches and in the, the dark night of our soul, you know, the, the true human suffering part of it, it's really hard for us to even recognize what state we're in. You know, it took... It took a lot of my EOD brothers actually telling me how bad I was before I actually recognized myself how bad I was, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there tends, at least the EOD community I grew up in, there tends to be a culture that wants you to shy away from showing that you're mentally weak or that you're suffering from mental health issues and, you know, the idea of not being able to do your job or lose your security clearance or, you know, put on admin tasks because you're being open and honest about your suffering. And in reality, being able to say that I need help is a source of strength. It takes a tremendous amount of courage to say, I can't do this alone. Like I need somebody else to help me out here. Right. Um, and believe it or not, there are so many of us that know exactly what you're going through while it is your own path and it is your own experience that you're you're in and we can't directly relate to your own personal experience i guarantee you that i have walked a parallel path in my own experience so one of the things i think is important is the moment that we start isolating ourselves the moment that we start really seriously making some plans we need to reach out to a brother. We need to reach out to whoever we feel most connected to at that moment and just engage with them. And whether it's just, hey, I need to talk and I don't want to hear any judgment or any reaction. I just, I, I need somebody to hear this. You got to release the, the pressure, right? And that, that release valve buys you a little bit more time, but you can't make a permanent solution to a temporary problem that can be fixed, right? right? You got people that need you and there's there's more to do, you know? Just mm-hmm. because we've ended our careers doesn't mean that we can't still contribute in meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Well, Jeff, how can our listeners um, learn more about Invictus Project and also Invictus Health? How What's the best way to get in touch and reach out? 
Um, so I am available on Facebook, of course. Of uh, InvictusProject.org is our nonprofit website. There's um, plenty of information and quite a bit of information, actually, about the treatment protocol, about the brain scans, the diagnostics that we collect. Uh, there's a donate button on the very bottom of the page to you know help out other first responders and combat vets that are suffering um there's a patient intake where you can fill out some information and apply for treatment so quite a bit on invictusproject.org but uh if you are one of those guys that are suffering and you don't know if you're ready to reach out in a formal manner hit me up on facebook or you know reach out to me directly um, I hope I can leave my contact information with you guys on the podcast, and that way, if there's anybody that's suffering, you can send me a message, and I, I'll be there to listen for any one of my EOD brothers or their families. Thank you, Jeff. That's, yeah. Thank you. Um, well, we absolutely appreciate the time that we've spent together on this interview, but before we let you go, Jeff, we always like to have a little lighthearted fun. <laughs> hey, so, it's time to lighten the mood. That's right. <laughs> no, you've shared an incredible wealth of information with us, and um, we we absolutely appreciate it, and I'm sure that our listeners will too. And not just not just the warriors out there, and not just the first responders or the you know, the, the folks that have gone through it, but also the families, because the families go through it too. And yeah. it may look a little different, but ultimately everyone is affected. And um, I, I think the information that you shared is just so valuable. And I think that's one of the things that is really important to note is that it's not just a personal experience. Like we're connected with a bunch of people in our lives that need us and that are part of their lives, right? And mm. I think that sometimes spouses and kids don't seem to get the credit that is deserved when it comes to the struggle because it's not just the vet that's going through it. It's not just the the tech, right? It's the entire family. It's the mm. entire home that's yeah. dealing with it. And, it you know, mm. so... And usually it's it's the family that's pointing these guys in the direction to find some salvation, too. You know, mm -hmm. that, like I said, if it weren't for my EOD brothers and my son and, you know, a couple of close family members pointing me in the direction and saying, hey, man, you need some help because you, you're not OK. Um, I don't think I would have reached out, you know. Right. Right. So. Well, thank yeah. you for that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah, Absolutely. All right, so... Time to lighten the mood. Yeah, so what we're going to do is we always like to ask um, or play this little game called What is Your Favorite? Okay. So, um, what's your favorite way to recharge your batteries, Jeff? Oh, um, favorite way to recharge my batteries is probably hanging out with my kids. Uh, I think that the kids have forgotten every kids know everything that we've forgotten right they they just live in a state of play in this this almost flow state and the way they view the world is just full of wonder mm -hmm. and uh i always then not to mention they have boundless unlimited stores of energy um i always say if i could bottle up even just you know a little bit of that i'd be good to go for the next 10 years with my daughter but i love hanging out with my kids and just kind of getting on their level and trying to view the world through their lens you know, for a little bit. It gives me a nice break from my own reality. Cool. All right. How about your favorite food? Favorite food. Or, oh, that's... Or style of food. I love food. Um, let's see here. I would say my favorite food that is convenient. I'm a meat and potatoes kind of guy. Very simple. So like steaks, and asparagus, and that kind of thing. But one thing that I don't get very often due to my wife being not a huge fan i love sushi okay so i would say sushi is probably my favorite because it's something i don't get very often okay um how about your favorite mre when you were in the army yeah come on tell oh, us god <laughs> oh, none of them can i say none of them um no i mean chili mac was always a good 
go to. Chili Mac. You know, Mac. Okay. You knew yeah. Chili Mac could be good, hot or cold. Okay. <laughs> did you did you heat it on the radiator or did you use a no. little sternal can? No. Just right I was a I was a cold MRE kind of guy. <laughs> All right. Um, what about your favorite book or author or even maybe the genre of of books that you like? Wow. Oh, there are so many. Um, that's that's one thing that I would say since EOD's ended that I have really taken an interest to reading and can't even stand watching tv anymore mm-hmm. it's i'd rather be reading so um favorite book let's say the most impactful on my own personal life would have to be either how will you measure your life by clayton christensen or the alchemist by paulo coelho but i think i get the most enjoyment out of the simplicity of reading oh the places you'll go to my kids <laughs> I think I think that that no matter how old you are, it still resonates. You know, it does. It does. Great book. Yeah, yeah, it's one of my favorites. I actually got to be a guest at my daughter's school yesterday to read a Dr. Seuss book, and she picked the Lorax because it's her favorite, uh-huh. and so that was that was just really cool to be able to go to her class, especially with COVID and you know the social restrictions that are. Uh, enforced mm-hmm. it was a pretty cool experience so that's awesome i um, yeah my children are grown uh jeff but uh reading to them on a nightly basis was one of my absolute favorite things about being a mom and um i think you know when we get blessed with grandchildren that will that will continue <laughs> but um yeah i love i love reading to my children for sure so um well, um, this has been an absolute pleasure to chat with you today, Jeff, and we appreciate your time. And like I said, all of the information that you've shared, I, I just, it's so very valuable. And um, I will definitely put the resources, um, how people can get in touch with the Invictus Project and, and that sort of thing. And we will continue to be in touch and don't hesitate to reach out to, to us as well, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Like I said, it's an honor. This this community has given so much to my life the way it is now, today. And uh, I'm very, very grateful for the EOD community and the people I've met and the people that I've had the honor of sharing the same space with within this community. And I appreciate what you guys do for us. So thank you very much. Mike, Thanks, Jeff. Sherry. Can't can't wait to see what you and the Invictus Project are going to be doing in the future. We're definitely going to be watching. It's good things in store, so <laughs> yeah. we appreciate you. Keep up the great work, Thank you, Jeff. guys. All right, take Thank care. Thank you, guys. Let me know if you guys need anything, all right? Will do. Absolutely. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast. This series is provided to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. To learn more, please visit us on Facebook or at eodwarriorfoundation.org. And don't forget to tell a friend.